Welcome to The Obsession Digression. A podcast that explores all of the cultural things that obsess us. I'm Sam Benarchik. And I'm Katie Walker. Katie, Yay. how is your week going? It's going... M- weeks? It's, plural. Yeah, I know. It's, it's like been a little a hiatus between seasons four and five. Well, you had you had uh, like a little cold or something, and then like just scheduling got weird. I was in D.C. for a while, so you know, just like How things were weird. It was good. I took a or not I, but Ryan and I and the dogs uh, took a chicken up to D.C. So that was fun. <laughs> Wait, what? Um, yeah, like I. Well, actually, this made me so mad. Not mad, but just like. Kind of like an, oh, this is my life kind of eye roll moment. <laughs> oh, have lots um, of those. <laughs> yeah. So I I planned this like beautiful kind of cultural weekend where we were going to go see a talk at the Folger Shakespeare Library and then a play right after the talk and we were going to have a nice dinner. It was just going to be like a very like culturally yeah. classy Like a real weekend. refined date night. Yeah. And we had like a nice hotel room. And uh, anyway, so I had this all planned out and then Ryan was like, Oh, but we've got to also take this chicken to D.C. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay, so chicken is not the name of a certain form of transportation. No. It's not the name of like a, bu- you took a literal ch- ch- no, chicken. No, yeah, exactly. It's not like the duck boat car things. <laughs> yeah. It's an actual chicken. Or do you remember in like Final Fantasy how you would ride those things that look like baby chicks? I never played Final Fantasy. Oh, all right. Yeah, I missed. Your high school missed... experience was different than mine. It was. Yeah, I was actually like cool and everything. So. Oh yep. Um. <laughs> yeah, but anyways, so yeah, so we had this chicken and we had to drop it off at like this park and like people were like giving us the stink eye because like you know like it's this like fancy DC park and all these like you know like. I don't know, high class people and dog breeds. Political types. Yeah, and we're like just like congressmen. Like at one point the chicken like kinda got free and ran around a little bit. Okay. I need you to to back up. So (laughs) (laughs) this chicken was in a cage in the car with you. Yes. Was it loud? No, it was fine. It was a pretty, it was not an asshole chicken. It was a pretty (laughs) chicken. Yeah. (laughs) Except that like so when we went to drop it off um, and you okay and second question how did you find yourself exchanging a chicken in a public park yeah is that so, standard well i mean it was just like this rare chicken was this like a black market chicken <laughs> yeah it's this rare chicken that ryan's office like had like somebody had contacted them saying like hey we're looking to build up this breed do you have any around North Carolina, and we did. Because he works in Wild Stock Conservancy. Exactly, yeah. right. So so we did. So, I mean, it just, you know, it's, like, way cheaper and just made sense. Like, it just was, it happened to be that somebody wanted this chicken <laughs> in D.C. So, like, yeah, we pull up, and it is, it's kind of weird because, like, we're, like, looking for, like, an orange car, you know? And then we have to, like, get the chicken out. And then Ryan wants a photo with the chicken. Wait, Why? Um, like, I don't know, because he, he does, like, marketing for his office. And, oh, right. Yeah, of course. You know. It wasn't like, just so, for, like, sentimental reasons. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this five-hour trip with this chicken has really, really sad to see it go. <laughs> I'm going to um, miss you, Polly. <laughs> I mean, I, I bonded with my chickens when we had them, and yeah, yeah so Cleopatra. Yeah, Cleopatra. She was badass. Um, so anyways, but then, like, as we got the chicken out of the, like, dog crate that it's in... Um, it like momentarily escaped and like people are giving us the stink eye and 
Yeah, and, like, I'm in my, like, nice theater clothes also this whole time. I'm wearing, like, black heels and, like, a very nice dress. And (laughs) this fucking chicken is running around D.C. So, um, but then, okay, so, like, this story has multiple, multiple episodes in it. Yeah. Because then... What also happened that was horrible, so we go to the play, it's it's a great, you know, like, we have a good experience, it's it's a, actually a really good play, it's called The Way of the World, um, mm, yeah, yeah. which they, they had modernized, so it was set in the Hamptons, and it was about, like, very snooty, rich people. <laughs> the Real Housewives. And, yeah, sexual wiles about, um, so, but then we get back, and our pug, Lady McPug, is, like, super sick. I uh, mean, like. Wait, did you have both dogs with you? Yeah, we had both of them. They were in the hotel room um, while we were at the play, obviously. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, you didn't get um, them tickets? Uh, no, unfortunately, I couldn't afford it. Um, so, yeah, but uh, Lady McPug. Uh, so what happened was we were, we've been trying to train her to not bark at people. And this dog trainer told us, like, every time they bark, just do the, like, conditioning thing and give them a treat and distract them, Right. But, Wait, um, so isn't that like rewarding them for barking? Well, it's but it distracts them from barking, and then they're like, if I don't bark, like if I stop barking, then I get a treat. And so, oh, like it's, I see. Yeah. Uh, so, anyways, but it turns out that the treats that we were giving Lady McPug were <laughs> she was highly, highly allergic or like. Oh, you no. know, anti, you know, just like they, they did not go. She was she was party to her own downfall. <laughs> yes, exactly. Because I think that she is. So I think my dog is super smart and I think that she would bark for no reason and then suddenly stop just yeah, so she right. could get more treats. I mean, I would do um, that if I was a dog. Yeah, she I mean, this dog, she she experiences like multi step reasoning. Did I tell you about the bone situation? No. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm one of those people that just talks about their animals all the time. <laughs> and how preternaturally gifted they are. <laughs> yes. But here, like, Lady McPug legit does this. So we have Lady McPug, who's incredibly smart and is our, our baby. And then we have Bark Antony, who's, like, just an idiot and, you know, like, runs around and, like, just, you know, has no emotions. Um, so what she does is if there is a bone that he has that she wants... She will then pretend to be into a toy and she will like like kind of like half heartedly, you know, growl at the toy and like kind of like, you know, just like bat it a little bit. And he thinks that she's inviting him to play. So he drops the bone and immediately runs over and wants to like, you know, have this like social dog time. Yeah. And then she immediately runs and gets the bone that he's dropped runs into another room and like hides and just chews the bone for like another eight hours. It's brilliant. (laughs) It's amazing. I mean, that's a good plan. Yeah. But unfortunately this weekend, uh, she was not into bones or anything because she was super sick. Um, she even, oh, this is going to make us sound like horrible people, but like we were in this nice hotel room and there was like this artsy, um, not like pillow that you sleep on, but you know, the like, um, what are they called? Uh, like couch pillows. What are those called? Oh, I don't know. Like the, decor. Like, yeah. The decorative pillows. <laughs> like a, a throw pillow. Throw pillow. Yeah. Or something like that. I don't know. Um, so anyways, my, my upbringing is failing me right now because I don't know what oh, that's listen, called. Oh, <laughs> listen, same. I was like one of the few people in like New Jersey suburbs who didn't have the formal uh, living room that you weren't allowed to sit in. Like all my friends oh. had that. And those places were, f- those rooms were filled with 
pillows you did not actually use. Oh, that's interesting. I've never yeah. heard of that. Really? So, yeah, so it's so, like a sitting room, but this not. This is like such a suburb thing where it's like, for like uh, like middle class or upper middle class like suburban homes i mean not even upper middle class because it would be like those cookie cutter homes in development where they all look the same Mm -hmm. but you'd have like the living room you use and the kitchen you'd have like a dining room table in your kitchen and you'd eat there but then you'd have a formal living room and a formal dining room and like they never got used except for holidays or when like the the father's like business associates or clients were coming over for dinner that's insane. That yeah. is actually insane. <laughs> but it was everyone had one. <laughs> That's so weird to me. Oh yeah, I, I'm wholly yeah. uninterested in carrying on that tradition. But yeah, no. Like, why would you have a room that you don't use? That's and why would insane. it be the nicest? Yeah. Yeah. The stupid. only thing that we had akin to that was um, when my mima. So my mima <laughs> moved into the house that we grew up in. Is this the same mima that? Ate watermelon with her hands and hated monkeys. Yes, yes, okay. <laughs> yes, Mima. So Mima, so she like the house that I grew up in uh, is still around, and Mima lives in it now. But um, it's a two bedroom, and mm-hmm. she obviously doesn't need two bedrooms. And so she turned one of she turned actually the bedroom that I was you know grew up in my old bedroom yeah. into the cowboys room. So it's just like you walk in. <laughs> And it's like just, a shrine. It's yes, it's just like cowboys memorabilia or like pictures or there's a bed in there, but it's covered with a cowboys, you know, like um, cover, right? Like it's so it's oh, very strange. Mean. Yeah, that's like okay. Have you read about? Um, I was reading about this a while back called Boom Mates. Boom Mates. I've never yeah, heard so of Boom room, Mates. Yeah, so roommates with a B. And so apparently it's trying to. It's like a, a supposition, I guess, or maybe a trend that's sort of emerging. Wherein boomers now are at the age where they're old enough that they were able to buy homes when homes were much less expensive. So they are homeowners in markets where it's not really possible to buy a home anymore for like a middle class person or a young person. And they are they have these homes in cities or neighboring cities where um, millennials or young people want to live. And so what they're seeing is a trend in which um, these older baby boomers, maybe their husband or wife died, so they're alone. They don't need the whole house. They'll rent out a room to a very young person. And then it oh, becomes this cool. weird symbiotic relationship where there's a young person to check in on this older person to make sure they're doing well and everything's okay to help mm-hmm. them and assist them if they need help. Um and then in turn, they get this really reduced rent that's like far less than what you'd have to pay if you were getting a one bedroom in a city. Yeah, it's like pet sitting, kind of. <laughs> All I'm saying, maybe Mima you know, needs a boommate. Yeah, I would just say, like, it's it's like pet sitting. It's, you know, like you're just checking in on it, but it's not like your full time job. Yeah, but you get to you sleep know. there and yeah. take other people's food from the fridge. And no one can really give you a hard time about it because you're watching something that people care about. Yeah, exactly. Huh. Interesting. I could never do that. I would never ever live with another human being besides Ryan. Oh, just generally. So it's not like you wouldn't live with a boomer. Yeah. I feel like a part of me would be like, I would love to. I just want to hear their stories. And then I'd like two weeks late, two weeks in, I'd be like sneaking in and out, being like, please don't run into them before I get to the bedroom. (laughs) Yeah. Like I had this fabulous Airbnb experience. I mean, I had the nicest host, and she's a lovely person. And, and like, so I had the best Airbnb experience you could possibly have, but like still there was something weird, uh, like just to me about 
like coming in and there being this like relative stranger in, <laughs> you know in her own house and me being like hey i'm gonna like use the microwave you know like, i don't I mean, know that's all it's i know so in a lot of ways because i've always had roommates everywhere and that's so and in, in those random situations in which I have like an apartment to myself or I stay in a hotel room. It feels so weird and so like so <laughs> decadent. It's yeah, it's really wonderful. Oh, I'm in I'm all about that. I love mm-hmm. being I I think my favorite thing is like <laughs> being alone in a hotel room. Yes. <laughs> Actually, I'm about to like tomorrow I'm going to Nashville and Ryan is doing like this work thing and I'm just going um to like hang out. Um, and I'm so looking forward to it because he's going to be gone all day doing work stuff and I'm just going to be alone and I could stay in my hotel room. Mm-hmm. Or I could like go explore Nashville. Yeah, or... you should explore. <laughs> Nashville's pretty uh, cool. Nashville is cool. Yeah. I mean, but I, I will, but I will also like mm-hmm. kind of relish being alone in the hotel room. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So back to hotel rooms. So can I, can I yeah. get back to the Lady McPug thing? Oh yeah, quick? of course. <laughs> Sorry. So, throw pillows. Um, Anyway, so there was one on a chair in this very fancy hotel room. And it was like, this is really gross. It's like yellow. It's like multicolored artistic throw Mm -hmm. pillow. And Lady McPug barfed all over it. (laughs) All over it. But it was yellow barf. So we like took it to the bathroom and like kind of like scraped it off. <laughs> then, oh my god, I'm going to hell for that, right? There's just like I'm, a few more shades now. Yeah, on that, I just made it look pillow. better. So, anyways, yeah, and so yeah, I've been dealing with that too. It's just um, like taking her to the vet and finding out what's wrong, and then like Aww. giving her all this like medicine, and she's. I love our vet because he is brutally honest. And so, like, we took her in, and he was like, this dog is fat. (laughs) (laughs) So this dog needs to be on a diet. And I was like, yeah, I think. I mean, that's right. Like, we don't want our vet to, like, you know, cut corners. Or not cut corners. What's the the word? Like, just be, like, unnecessarily delicate. Yeah. Like, we have a fat dog. She needs to lose weight. (laughs) So... Anyways, my life has been a little kind of hectic lately this because is also of all that. Why I can't have a dog. Like I am not home enough to properly attend to like the emotional needs of a dog, but also you picture getting a dog and you're like, "Oh, and then we just like hang out on the couch and snuggle and then go play like throw a ball around." But then you're like, "And then they get sick and you have to yeah. figure out what's wrong with them and f- trick them but, into eating medication and But you do have like like you d- have a way with animals, though. Like, my dogs love you. So oh, you're like a nice dog uncle, I think, I right? Like, oh, like, and now I'm an uncle times two. Yeah, yeah. Did I tell you my little sister had her baby? <gasps> no, wait. Oh, like a yeah, real it was uncle. This past- <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, uncle times four for accounting your two dogs. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's so great. Congratulations. Yeah, sh- the baby's name is Everett. And so Aww. I'm going to tell everyone, I'm going to start a rumor that he was named after Everett McGill. <laughs> and I decided I'm just going to start calling him Big Ed. <laughs> Aww, <laughs> and not explain so it. <laughs> no, don't. No, I won't. Okay, Big Ed. Mm-hmm. So now you have two nephews, right? I have two nephews. I love my wow. first nephew, so I'm excited to have two. What if, like, you don't like one as much as you I like know, the other? I know, that's really the question. 
<laughs> suspenseful time. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess we'll have to wait and see how that that plays I know, out. I already feel guilt though because I my older sister had her baby and I just hopped on a train like immediately and went down and saw her. But she's also right off a train line, and it's so easy. Oh, no. <laughs> and my younger sister lives, um, like, I could take a train all the way down to Philly, but even then I have to rent a car and drive, like, another hour. Yeah, like, that's not that your fault. feels like a heavier lift. <laughs> but yeah. I'm also like, I really need to think about, like, the optics of this. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. So, still that's working real. out those plans. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> it's so weird that they, I mean, you know, two sisters, different ages, you know, not like too far apart, but different mm-hmm. ages. But they both like get like around dignity. the same time. And, yeah. Yeah. And like both have boys. Like it's just like, that's cool. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> they could like, and your nephews could either grow up being like best friends or like or super mortal rivals. enemies. Yeah. I hope, for I the hope second, it's the latter. Just because yeah. <laughs> it is so much more exciting to watch. <laughs> Yes, and you could like, you know, like you could be like the shifty uncle where you like mm-hmm. change sides and yeah, just like, fomenting suspicion and paranoia. For like Christmas, you could like buy them those Hulk hands. <laughs> you know? Yes. Oh those, my like, god, that's such a good idea. Yes. Hulk buy hands. Sock and boppers. Yeah. Yep. Buy them when they're like toddlers. Sock and boppers. I love it. Can That's I tell so you, though, exciting. between uh, the family stuff, between working more hours, between being sick all the time, one thing that mm-hmm. no one told me before I moved here is that everyone is sick all winter. <laughs> Katie, I've been sick. I've had, like, five fevers since, like, October, November. Jeez. I'm constantly in the state of some sort of, like, illness, like, either, like, recovering or on the precipice of falling back into illness. So yeah. I am, like... I mean, I read the book for today, but like otherwise, basically just... all I can handle is a little Netflix show called Murder Maps. <laughs> <laughs> Murder I really like, Maps? I really judge people who just watch TV as white noise. You know, like I'm like, no, this is an art form. You know, it's about actually like you go to television, the same reason you'd go to like movies or literature is like challenge yourself and expose yourself to ideas and be moved or something. But like. I just can't do it right now. I'm watching you just this show. Need it. It's so bad. It's <laughs> the production values are terrible. It's like these weird. It's this weird pseudo true crime documentary, in which. Wait, but it, it's murder maps like M A P S, right? Yep. And here's okay. the here's the gimmick. So it's like partial like recreations of 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 like pe- murderous people in 19th century London. Mm-hmm. And the map part comes in because <laughs> it just happens to show you on a map where each murderer lives and where they're moving. <laughs> and that's it. Hence so this is weird, like, glossy computer graphic map. And then you just see a bloodstain pouring out from whichever, like, neighborhood they're in. <laughs> yes. And so far, it's just been about, like, men murdering their wives. Oh. Like, with sad. poison. Yeah. And, yeah. That's the, I mean, they've that's all the been woman's caught. weapon. What are they doing with poison? Don't that's, they know that's anything the woman's about, weapon. about murder? <laughs> I've already yeah, maybe, Well, maybe next murder. episode, one of the husbands will pull out one of those tiny pearl guns. Yes. And yeah. Or just, like, get more creative with it. Like, yeah, really shake the wow us, you know? Wait, yeah. what an Ophelia? She murdered someone? No, I'm, like, but, like, make it look as if oh, she Oh, she drowned herself? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Or, like, just turn to <gasps> like Shakespeare in, um, or anything. Like in what's it called? Um, Diabolique, Garden State. Garden oh. State. 
Who drowns in Garden State? The mom drowns because she's. Oh, yeah. but like legit though. No, she drowns. Yeah. Yeah, but like no one, no one, no one killed the mom. And oh. <laughs> 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 Sorry, that was a dumb Brady moment. Where I was like, no, Sam, she drowns. Uh, I was just like an old school mom, wasn't I? Uh, no, <laughs> that movie cracks me up because like. There was a brief moment where we were all deeply compelled by that film or moved oh, by yeah. it. But that oh, yeah. was like I've the most like 20 times. suburban film that even like the way she initially becomes like injured or paraplegic mm-hmm. is like a dishwasher door being open. You know, yeah. like there is not even a hint of like the urban in that film. <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah, it's it's I don't know. I still think it has a lovely charm. To Good it. luck navigating the abyss. <laughs> Let's play some shins. Yeah. Oh, shins. Oh, the shins. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, what was man. I going to say, though? I'm sorry. I, I totally derailed our Oh, combo. no, no. Remember we watched Diabolique? It's that, I never that, saw that. Yeah, you did. We watched it together. It's that French thriller where um, this woman inherits a school and her husband's like the schoolmaster oh. and he's terrible. And so her and a teacher drug him and they drown him yeah. in a bathtub, transport him all the way back to the school and then dump him in the pool. So it looked I like he fell this. in while drunk. Yeah. Love, yeah. Like, God. That's clever. That's some real thinking. Yeah. Yeah. Where's that? Where's that on reasoning? murder maps? There, that's the Lady McPug murder right there. Like, she would plan that yeah, she shit would. out. Yeah, she would. Oh, um, speaking of murder, just real quick. Speaking I just of want to murder. Remind, I just want to remind you of the coolest Shakespearean pre-murder line ever. It's in Macbeth. Okay. And it's right when Banquo and Fleance are just, like, out. Fleance? In, what? Nothing. Beyonce? Like Beyonce? Yeah. Okay. Um, (laughs) All right. I have to think about that one a little bit more. But um, so they're just like out in the dark woods and they're like wandering around and they're like supposed to go to Macbeth's uh, banquet. And Macbeth has hired these three murderers. And Banquo has like the lamest line where he's like, it will be rain tonight. And then a murderer says, let it come down. And as he does that, he stabs the shit out of Banquo. And it's the coolest. I mean, can you think of like the coolest pre-murder line? That is the shit right there. Shakespeare invented the coolest pre-murder line in the world. That is really good. That's what I'm going to say before I murder you, but it's it, like right. the context won't be as cool. I guess another one. Yeah, we'll be, be like a drive through at like Popeye's and I'll be like, what do you want? Let, like, it Let it come, come. down. <laughs> <laughs> like, it'll be totally out of context. Yeah. You'll <laughs> be like, does this like blue shirt go with these pants? And I'll be like, let it come down. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why we're shopping in this like future. <laughs> I mean, I'm constantly asking people about the color of like clothes because I'm always okay. like, is this navy or black or is this green or gray? Because I can never tell. <laughs> like I've asked like- strangers in the past. So. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, we should should we like transition to, um. This book about a psychopath that yeah, we're or talking this, about today. Yeah, speaking of, well, almost murderers. He's, yes. I mean, given time and an opportunity, Paul's gonna this murder is someone. This the scariest. This is the like best portrait. Portrait I've of ever a serial seen. killer. Yes, like Henry. Yes, uh, exactly. I mean, we should also just introduce what it is we're doing this season. 
Exa- yeah, yeah. So do you want to like kind of give us a little, sure. a little context thing? So our idea for season five uh, is beloved fantasy source material. So looking at um, fantasy movies that are real classics or cult classics in the case of our first episode um, and looking mm-hmm. at the, um, the, the source material behind them and seeing yeah. what sort of differences there are and if they're at all interesting or good. And so I have no idea what your thoughts were on this book. You don't know my thoughts. So we are jumping into our first episode of the season on Mary Norton's uh, two books, which became the um, or the sort of source material for Bedknobs and Broomsticks, a 1971 cult classic Disney film. Right. And so my question is, who at Disney or and, and throughout this entire season, I'm going to ask this question, like, who is, you know, like in movie idea department at Disney and they're like, oh, this book would make a really great movie. And like, I, so I have a lot of questions, yeah. Sam, because we're calling them beloved source material and I'm not, well, the, no, I'm no, not but the fa- It's the fantasy that's beloved. We're looking at the, the source material behind the beloved movie. Yeah. But, but why is it beloved? That's what Oh <laughs> yeah. So this is sort of. I feel maybe almost like maybe we started with the wrong one because we're going chronologically and this has happened to be the first mm-hmm. in our series. But this one is more of a cult classic because it doesn't have the renown of, of Disney's bigger films. Um, right. In fact, the closest one you could link it to is Mary Poppins because they both blend live action with animation and they're made pretty close within a few years of one another. Um, but it actually has this weird cult following and it has a weird history in which there are like multiple versions of this movie floating around of varying lengths and it's found a way to sort of continue to find new audiences so it's like Blade Runner but not as cool (laughs) although okay a controversial opinion I finally saw the new Blade Runner it was like boring as fuck like I couldn't finish it I was so bored out of my mind oh oh I loved it oh no we, I, we, we diverged. Yeah, I was like two tears bored. Like I couldn't make myself sit there any longer. And I really went into it thinking, I'm going to love this movie. Cannot wait to see it. Yeah. Oh, man. Don't know. You know what's weird? Just like a weird coincidence. What? Last, yesterday afternoon, I was, of all places, I was in Old Navy, but I was in the men's section. <laughs> and there was this like slew of Harrison Ford t-shirts on sale. And I was like, fuck yes! And <laughs> Wait, like, Old Navy just happened to have a bunch of Harrison Ford t-shirts? Yes, and they were all like $4. And they were Wait, all... were they just his face? Or were they, was it like him well, in different movies? Different movies. So like one of them was him as like Han Solo and it says, I always fly solo on it. <laughs> which is cool. And another one was from Blade Runner and that was just a picture. Okay. Um, yeah, there's so, no real catchy line from that one. Yeah. Also, I said there was a ton. There were two. <laughs> <laughs> there's no Indiana Jones. Um. There. No, I didn't. What find, if I'm I sure wish there was like a regarding Henry one, like a real deep uh, cut, or an yeah. Air Force One one. <laughs> <laughs> no. Or or like a Force Awakens one where the co- quote is just like, "I really don't want to be here right now." <laughs> <laughs> Um, so anyways, I bought those two t-shirts. Nice. I'm glad. That feels really on brand. So I'm really glad you found them. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it was good. Unlike this book. <laughs> Although, you know what else I just saw finally, like really late to the game. Um, this came out even longer ago than Blade Runner. And I didn't expect to like it very much is Wonder Woman. 
and oh, I yeah. loved it. It's yeah, so good. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, there's a lot of penis jokes in it, and I really appreciate it because it's all like denigrating. Yeah, because like the she what's asked the him like, oh, is that a normal? Guy? Yeah, he's like I'm Chris, above above average. Like, I, I there's couldn't a lot tell. Of, like, was I couldn't tell jokes. Was okay. What was your? I couldn't. That's that moment was confusing to me. So was he actually, or was he? Did he just feel like he could lie in that moment? Like it was. Oh, do you mean like do we like Sam? The the truth is, is we don't actually see his penis, so we can't. But like, how can we get to the heart of the penis? There's <laughs> no way we could know. Like I mean, it could be a lie. Or God. like he could have the smallest penis in the world and tell her it's above average, and like at that point she's like, no, this is all right. I guess we're you really know. we're really a Wonder Woman surrogate then in that moment because like we also have no way to frame it. Right. Yeah. This Can't is a problem. Frame that dick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is a problem that's just endemic. You know, like it's it's a real uh, epistemological conundrum. It really. <laughs> this is. movie has layers and layers. Sometimes I just look at people, men, and <laughs> I'm like, regardless of like their height or their shoe size or whatever, I'm like, you you probably have like a small penis. Just and just then you go me. up and you're like, am I right? I'm right, aren't am I? I right? And they're like, am do I, I know you? Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, no, you do not. But I've been questioning your genital <laughs> situation, <laughs> your genital goings on. <laughs> In general, the genitals. Um, <laughs> In general, comma, the genitals. <laughs> uh, uh, I had a point to make, but I, I like, totally lost Oh, about lost Wonder her. Woman's penis jokes? No, no, that was all I took away from that movie. Oh, um, <laughs> I have to say, you know, actually, what movie I wanted to compare it to is Inglorious Bastards, because there was something hmm. so undeniably like thrilling in Wonder Woman about just seeing a character who is just like seeing something that is just wrong and refusing to accept it refusing to be passive and it's mm-hmm. that moment the World War II moment where she runs across no man's land and this yeah. is of course a total rewriting of history obviously um, yeah but but then I thought like oh the movie that most recently tried to rewrite World War II history was Inglorious Bastards mm-hmm. and but that movie I found so upsetting right because its idea of rewriting history was to essentially continue a lot of the really sentiments of the nazism that made it so evil but just to turn the tables and really like celebrate the the gruesome destruction of a bunch of germans yeah this one was doing the same thing but it was attempting this far more like hopeful and reparative um revision of history and there's something so like i didn't expect to be so moved by like a couple of those sequences and wow. yeah, I really, I don't know, just things I thought about. That's and, cool, man. I did yeah, not, I it was like, great. you know, I was probably the like passive, um, <laughs> like, I was, did not have deep thoughts about the movie. I was like, that was fun. Um, so good for you for, for really, you know, like contemplating it, letting it sink in, like let it, feeling the feels, Sam. That's right. I just, I want to acknowledge you feeling the feels. Feeling feels. That's, that's that's beautiful. Because that's ultimately like why I go to the movies, just like everyone else. Is like cinema can offer those like stirring, like fantastical images, right? And I don't know. I feel yeah. like it fails to do that so frequently. And so there was something like I thought I was just so inoculated against any sort of like superhero sentiment because you know I don't like the Marvel movies. I find them to be really generic and kind of glossy. And so I was surprised to be sort of stirred by one. 
even okay. though this was DC, but still. Yeah. I'm going to go see, speaking of superhero movies, I'm seeing Black Panther tonight. Me so. too. Yeah. Can't wait. All right. We'll awesome. have to touch base next episode. Compare notes, yo. Yes. But we're not talking about superheroes today, but witches or a witch. Yeah. A lame witch. Mm, kind of. Yeah. Okay, so just to like get us back on track, we are talking <laughs> yeah. about Bedknob and Broomstick, the book by Mary Norton. Um, which, you know, it's it's a it's two books combined into one now, right? Like mm-hmm. I bought it for like six bucks. Same. Um, and basically the situation is that these um three children are in the countryside, the English countryside, staying for the summer with their aunt who is, you know, like, just a bitch, right? Like, she's just horrible. <laughs> um, and the three kids are, let me <laughs> let me make sure I've got this right. They're oh, Carrie. Charles, Carrie, and Paul. Paul. Okay, so Carrie and Charles are, you know, roughly, like, 10 or, like, somewhere around there. Yeah, I got that, too. And Paul is six years old. And so this book struck me, most of all, and you know this already, because this kid, Paul is, like, just a complete psychopath. I mean, like, the scariest character I've read of Yeah, there's, like, some real detachment in those eyes. Yes. Actually, can I just start us off with a moment later in the the book? Because I feel like it just, it captures everything that is so perfectly, like, weird about this character. Okay, let me, ah, shit, I gotta find it. Okay. Um... So this is way later, actually, but this is going to get us started on why I think this novel is, or these novels are strange, right? So, um, Carrie quickly came to her rescue. People don't keep things for always, Paul. She glanced at the shelves. Think of the puddings. Think of the lovely, lovely puddings. Yes, said Paul. <laughs> that is it. That's all he fucking says. He just goes, "Yes." And it's the scariest shit because this kid is 6 years old and he has these, you know, two siblings and he's hanging out with a witch and he has like this kind of beautiful vista of experiences and wonder and magic around him and mm-hmm. he's just like fucking Unfazed. Yeah, he just has no fucking emotion and like the so Basically, well, can I ask too? So I want to think about like what might have like shaped his emotional state. So you said this was based on two books. One is the Magic Bed Knob in 1945, and then Bonfires and Broomsticks in 1947. Right. Um, so these are being written right after the war, World War II has ended. They right. are with their aunt. Is it because of the bombing of London, like because of the Blitz, or is it because? They've lost, is their father a soldier? Like, it's really unclear. Like, the only comment that's unclear. made is just like, well, your mom's working full time now, so you need to come stay with us. Yeah, and the movie adaptation makes that explicit, right? Like, in the movie, there are three children who are very explicitly being, you know, evacuated because of the Blitz. And, like, that doesn't, that <laughs> seems... Also, can I tell you, I watched the trailer, because I've never seen the movie, and the trailer I watched had this, like, happy boppy music playing and this happy narrator, and it's like, watches Angela Lansbury, some other actor, <laughs> with the help, and he goes, with the help of three homeless waifs. And I was like, oh. <laughs> Are they homeless in the movie? I, and yeah, in the movie, they're in much like more dire straits. Okay. Um, <laughs> the three homeless waifs. <laughs> in, so in the novel, though, they're they're actually like, they come across as quite privileged. Yeah, They come for across sure. as, um, 
Like, they're, like, you know, maybe it is the Blitz or whatever, but, like, clearly these kids are, you know, used to, like, like, they each have their own room and this kind of, like, mansion that their aunt owns, and I don't know, it's just, they're kind of snoots, you know? I don't know. Um... Yeah, Carrie's Carrie's in love. You're uh, Paul, and Paul's like weird emotional state. Yes. Okay. So, just to like set the scene very very quickly, these three children in the countryside, like I said, and they observe um, this like woman named Miss Price, right? Um, and she seems very prim and proper. And one thing that I noticed, Sam, about this novel is just that it 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 evokes you as a reader kind of it, it does this very often where it all like it already includes you right so the yeah. very first line says i was gonna bring this up too carrie was about your age your age as in you the reader right so it's very confusing and then the next page says you all know somebody rather yeah. like miss price and so it's it's this you all know or your age like these very you know like these pronouns that really immediately kind of in, like bring you in, I guess, as a a child reader, you know, as the imagined ten year old child, I guess, reading this book for the first time. Uh, and anyways, I just thought that was really interesting because mm-hmm. to do that um, with a novel so fantastical is it's it's pretty clever, I would say, you know, or it's it's a yeah, it's an interesting strategy to um, I don't know, really capture a child's sense of adventure right off the bat. Like, oh, I this could happen to me. Like, I do know someone like Miss Price. Maybe she is a witch, you know? Or, yeah. oh, I, I am Carrie's age. I can easily. I mean, that's, and we've talked about this before, but that's, like, why the Harry Potter books hit so deep for our generation. Because we literally grew up. At the exact age Harry Potter was. Right. You know, and you're going like through the same as... sort of emotional journey, even if you're not yes. casting spells. Yes, yeah. exactly. Well, so... I would argue, too, that there is, like, a, you can see this as a precursor to Harry Potter and its formulation of magic and magic <laughs> as, like, this bureaucratized industry. Yes. <laughs> right? So we, so the the weird, maybe to, to circle back to Paul and then to move on to Miss Price, like, Paul is frequently the catalyst for the plot moving forward. And the first time is that he he witnesses Miss Price, who's this sort of weird, idiosyncratic, but nice neighbor um, living next to the ant. Um, he witnesses her flying on a broomstick and yeah. crashing because <laughs> um, she's not great at it. Um, yeah. <laughs> Paul and she twists her ankle. Yeah. Well, that's interesting, too. I don't have anything to say about it, except it's also interesting that the novel begins with a scene of like physical injury. Um given like all the physical destruction that is implicitly going on like off screen right um with the war going on sure yeah i don't Uh, know these are just weird thoughts i have but and then i laughed because the narrator talked about the sequence in which paul sees miss price like flying and he's the narrator says it was part of paul's secret nightly joy unrelated but just like talking about like lewd things yeah um ryan and i have this game where we go through barnes and noble (laughs) and we like point out to each other lewd 
like parts of book titles, right? Yeah. So like, no, like not even like not in a specific section, right? But it'll start with an oral history or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. And just um, what was oh one of them was uh, sticky thoughts or something <laughs> like that. It was sticky thoughts is such a tech and design term. Like I hear that all the time now. Do you really? <laughs> yeah. Like, is this sticky enough? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah. Anyways, it's just a game we like to play because so, we're strange and antisocial. That was like when um, I was in high school. So Barnes and Noble in the mall used to have like, you know, how they really got into like the Barnes and Noble like anthologies where it'd be like great American short stories or something mm-hmm. like that or the best Edgar Allan Poe. And one was like the best erotic fiction. And I remember there's like oh. when we were like in junior high or high school, what you did is you went to the mall and just bummed around. <laughs> Or at least we did in New Jersey. But um, I remember, like, we had there's a group of four of us, and we'd play this game that if we passed one and went in, one of us would open the book of erotic fiction and read it out loud. And you were the game was to see how long you could, like, read a sustained story before you were, like, so uncomfortable you had to close it and put it down and walk out. <laughs> spoiler alert, I never won that game. <laughs> so oh. Oh, I'd, no. like, pick it up open and be like, no, I can't. <laughs> It says boobies. It's boobies in this book. Uh, Boobies. Man, we are like I like. We cannot stay on track. We can to not talk about this book. I know. So So, go ahead. I well, I was just gonna say like maybe part of it's that I just like I didn't. This book did not resonate with me at all. As others others would or you have, know what's interesting right? too is that she is famous for these books and for writing the borrowers like that series and mm-hmm. when i was a kid i hated the borrowers i didn't like I thinking that, that there were people living in my walls i didn't like thinking that they were stealing my things i didn't like imagining <laughs> having to be a borrower and having to live like within someone's wall and steal their food and escape their domesticated pets yeah and so i think i am not meant to be reading and appreciating mary norton yeah, it's too much like, what's the Craven movie that we watched? People where, Under the Stairs? Yeah. No, it's nothing like that. <laughs> <laughs> that book um, was trying to capture race relations and cannibalism and the economy. <laughs> and The Borrowers is just or that like movie, some rather shit not a book. where... Yeah, it's just like, you know, they... I mean, and they weren't borrowers. They were, they were stealers. They were thieves. They weren't giving it back. Rogues. <laughs> Blasted pirates. Okay. <laughs> So, okay, maybe we should just, like, gloss through the plot and talk about things that we thought were interesting. Yes, so, let's focus. basically, yeah, they they call out Mrs. Price. They're like, we know you're a witch. And she's... What's cool. crazy? Yeah. <laughs> what? There is... Okay, this is interesting to me, is that there was... She's not wholly a good witch. That there's something, like, there's always this threat that she is going to do something that actually yeah. quite like, evil or dangerous. Like, she's a little sinister. There is sinister. that passage where she suddenly realizes that she doesn't need to be afraid of them because she can put some sort of curse on them where they can never speak again or where she, like, erases their minds. And, like, they, the there's an extended passage that talks about, like, this weird gaze, like, or expression changing on her face where she goes to somewhere far away. And they're all like deeply unsettled by her. And I like thinking about uh, the, uh, the way in which she is somewhere between, like she is someone who's imbued with power and that power like puts her in a position where she is never firmly on good ground. Like there's always yeah. the threat that she's gonna fall into an abuse of her power. Uh, so yeah, like, I actually have this passage. Should I Great. read it real yeah. quick? Um, 
Paul was staring at Miss Price, because he's a psychopath, just <laughs> so you know, as if to drink in every detail of her appearance. I don't think you're a wicked witch, he said at last. Miss Price dropped her eyes unhappily. I know, Paul, she admitted in a low voice. You're quite right. I started too late in life. That's the whole trouble. Is being wicked the hardest part? asked Carrie. It is for me, Miss Price told her rather sadly, but there are people who have a natural gift for it. Paul has, said Charles. Meaning Paul has a <laughs> yeah, natural gift for being evil. Just again proving my point. But also it's this moment where she's unhappy about not being quite evil enough to be yeah. a like, it's it's kind of creepy, right? Well, and here's another thing that maybe we should talk about. For me, it's the elephant in the room. And that's that when we were deciding on text to read, we had read the description of the Disney movie Bonfires and Broom... Uh, no, uh, Bedknobs and Broom Sticks. And mm-hmm. in that movie, Angela Lansbury as Miss Price as a witch, eventually the plot escalates to her using her, her powers to fight Nazis. And I thought yes. that that was going to be what happens in this book. And so I was like... <laughs> madly underlining early on to think about like thematically the way in which like this novel is offering this commentary on like the way in which power is sort of like corrupting or things like that especially like there is a scene in which books are being burnt in the second book it's called (laughs) bonfires and broomsticks like and i was just like the echoes here are so strong and so when the nazis never showed up i was really like shocked by that right yeah it seems um in some ways out of time right like it seems like this, at least the no- the the novel versions seem at a dissonance with what is yeah. happening. Like it's pr- it's the silence around war-, war is so deafening. Like because right. the novel refuses to say even even hint at it. Well, and so they have this magical uh, bed knob that they can turn, and the bed will either go to a different location somewhere, mm-hmm. or it'll even go back in time. Right, and, and the reason course, they have the bed knob is like, the bed knob, not bed knob. <laughs> I kind of just bed-nob. said it like I said my last name. <laughs> bed knob chick. Um, <laughs> is that this is sort of, um, uh, what would you call it? Like, um, like a hush? Blackmail. It's hush money or something. Yeah. Like, basically, she's like, I'll enchant this for you guys as long as you keep my secret the minute if you ever speak of the truth of my powers though um the power infused in the bed knob like dissipates and i will fucking eat your souls Mm -hmm. she doesn't say that's a direct quote yeah (laughs) um yeah so the the three do you want to say also what it is they ask for before they get the bed knob oh i don't remember they say why don't you give us a magical ring or make us a slave that's right. Oh yeah, I'm too like, okay. Oh, oh, British imperialism. <laughs> oh, and when they go to the island so of the cannibals, oh, my we God. should talk it's about so, that. Yeah, we can get to that. Ugh, but yeah. So also, let's just think about this situationally as adults who are like destroying this book about like you know childhood wonder. Um, you're a like 50, 60 year old woman, and you give three very small children the power to go wherever the fuck they want on a bed and to go back in time. Does that seem at all... Like, give the kids, like, a never-ending lollipop or, like, like, a fucking fireworks show. Don't give them a bed that can go back in time or go any location. And strand them somewhere. Yeah, and they... Also, like, let's also talk about the weirdness of the fact that she and Paul go on private adventures 
mm-hmm. on a bed together, <laughs> like in the super second weird. book. It's like, mm, I don't know about this. Yeah, yeah, no, it's super weird. And the way they're like, you know, like we can't talk about, like we just wanted to try it out and we wanted to like oh, go yeah. on our own adventure. Like, ah, yeah, it's so. This whole, it's, there's a lot of, like, just strange stuff. I would, personally, would not go anywhere with Paul. No. Because he would fucking kill you. If only to strand him somewhere. Yeah. Be like, we're all better off if you're somewhere else and can't get back to us. (laughs) And he lacks imagination because they're given this magical bed knob. And the first place he fucking goes is just London. Like, he just goes back home. To see his mom. Yeah, which, eh, like, I guess, but... You know, you could go somewhere cooler. Yeah. As the, like, other two children, Carrie and Charles, suggest. But he's, yeah, he's just lame. Well, and the other thing, too, is that there's a special bond between Miss Price and Paul because she technically, when she cast a spell on the bed knob, she did it for Paul. So only Paul is capable of activating the bed. Right. So, yeah, not only does she give three children this, but she gives the, like, power to the psychopath (laughs) six-year-old. That really makes no sense the more I think about no, it. No, no. <laughs> like, uh, give it to the. I like, mean, I know we live in a different time, girl. but it's still just so weird. Like, not since Home Alone has there been <laughs> like a relationship between an old person and a young person that ought to have been questioned more. <laughs> you know, I you don't know. Like, know. May- I mean, there's Up. Oh but yeah, that's not weird. That's just cute. Well, yeah. We, I, I bet we know. could destroy up if we wanted to. We could. <laughs> Can we talk about this magic, though, for a minute? So the other weird thing that felt like <laughs> borderline like Nazi-ish is Miss Price's lab, her laboratory. It's a secret room in mm-hmm. her home that is full of um, animal experimentation she's doing. She's experimenting on life and living forms and then creating copious notes and records about what she was capable of doing and not capable of doing. And she's right. not experimenting on humans, right? Like, so I don't want to go too far with that. But again, it feels like a weird, I don't know, oh, reverberation. I thought it was very, so I thought it was very early modern because, oh, I mean, they do go back into the early modern period, right? Later on. Yeah, that's true. Um, and so the stuffed alligator is the hallmark sign of a cabinet of curiosity in the period Uh, oh interesting yeah so if you ever see like the the most famous you know like image um it's an engraving of a like you know quote-unquote lab for this like renaissance scholar they always have the stuffed alligator it's like the Mm. must have um so like to me like it did read as like this kind of like weird witch's den but also like it's so sterile and there's this emphasis on like how modern i guess their magic is because she's updating these kind of dated references or these um i don't know more kind of mystical occult resonances and she's turning it into this like more sterile i guess like that's the only word i can come up with yeah and mixed in with all those occult books are exercise books yeah (laughs) well and the other the other update the other sort of modern twist is that she sends away for these books and she it's there's a witchcraft like bureaucracy as we said so if she uses magic irresponsibly or shares her magic with anyone else there's like a fine that she has to pay and a curse yeah and a curse and the other thing that's interesting too that i i thought was really really fascinating to think about is that she gets very 
she's very resentful about her class situation because she said, if I had more money, if I had grown up in a different situation of more privilege, I would have had the time to study and become a real witch. And what's so interesting, mm. and you can obviously say a lot more about this, is that like the genealogy of like the witch is like a very like lower class, like a countercultural, like, uh, or, or the sort of like rural, <laughs> like practice, right. Yeah. Of like yeah. actually having no privilege like that. It's out of, out of that economic situation that like the witch they turn to the devil yeah yeah exactly. and so to, to suddenly like repurpose and reformulate witchcraft as like uh something that is in- intrinsically tied to like the british caste system and the specifically like british elitism is really curious to me yeah yeah i know i think that's um it's something actually i've been wrestling with in my research is this there's always been this kind of this dichotomy that falls along both class and gender lines where you've got the lowly, you know, gross witch, basically. She's old, she's often a widow, or she's uh, never been married. And she turns to magic as a way to, you know, at least have some solace or to gain something. You know, usually it's like very small gains, like, you know, more bread. It's nothing grand. So you've got that. And then you've got these... um, you know, grand sorcerers, right? The male Faustus character. And so it's it's interesting that, you know, at least historically, for the most part, I mean, we do know that there were male witches, but, you know, at least in our literary representations, it's always a female lowly witch and then a high-class male mage, you know? And there's... I don't know why that there's... I... Yeah. I, I don't know. I've been thinking about this a lot, and I don't have an answer except that there's... There are weird sisters. There are no weird brothers. Right? Mm, yeah, yeah, right. Don't don't steal that line from me. I'm gonna no, use no. That. I can edit that out <laughs> if you want. <laughs> yeah, actually, now that I said that, I'm like, mmm, that's good. That's good. No, you can keep it in. It's fine. All right, but but I'm gonna, I'm gonna use it. <laughs> well, okay. okay so, so there's a passage though related to this where I think it's Carrie asks. She says, "Aren't there any spells for making money?" And Miss Price says dozens, but you can't get the ingredients. What people don't realize when I'm Miss Price is that there are very few spells that can be done without paraphernalia. You must, if you understand, have something to turn into something and something to turn it with. And I think right. what's interesting about that is that it, <laughs> I don't know, I'm just thinking about my own dissertation and my own sort of like interest when I was in grad school is the what she's mimicking is a sort of like Marxist theory about like how you create capital out of commodities. So you have a you have money, you invest it in a commodity, you resell that commodity, and you've made more money, right? So you've well, taken something and, and created something else with it. And there's... I think it's an older tradition. I think it's um, alchemy that she's referring to. Sure. So all I mean to say is um, the idea, though, that you need something material in order to make mm-hmm. more money, you know, that, of course just even a couple decades after this book is written starts to go away when you go into like um, investment and bond trading and things like that where it's actually just like you don't need the material anymore it's just like value can keep accruing outside of itself and it's interesting to think about like witchcraft is being tied to a certain idea of like value making or valuation Mm, okay okay I'm following you yeah but let's not explore that further because that gets just like boring really fast (laughs) Let's talk more about, like, how fucking weird this book is. Let's do okay. that. Okay, I want to say, too, that 
I thought for a second that she was just like plotting to like psychologically torture them when she's like, yeah, I cast a spell on that bed knob. Try it. Take it for a spin. And they're like, we can't get it to work. And she's like, oh, that's because only Paul has the power. And I was like, Ugh, we're going into some like Stanford prison experiment like bullshit, you know, <laughs> Where it's like some of you have power. Some of you don't. Let's see what happens if the one well, with power wants to wield it. Yeah, because Paul like wields his own power. I. Uh, you know, and like he's he becomes a tyrant in certain ways where he's like, no, we're only going to go to this place that you want to go to if you appease me. Yeah. So, you know, like they always have to manipulate Paul. He's never compliant because he's an asshole. Well, do um, you want to can we jump ahead and just say so they originally do follow his plan and go to London to try and look for their mom. They cannot find their mom. They get arrested, but then the bed gets dragged into the prison cell with them. So yes. they just hop back on and go back. Of course. And they, yeah. they get home before daylight, so no one notices that they're gone. Yeah. Was there anything so, in particular about London you wanted to talk about? No. That I was mean, like one like, long eye roll for me. So. Well, yeah. I th- I guess the, the it was really surprising that, given the narrative possibilities, it's this book's been so long with a very mundane, boring situation that then doesn't have any consequences later. They I go know. to London... They, like, get in trouble, but they don't actually get in trouble. They escape. But it's not, like, this grand adventure. It's not It's not creative. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just, uh, it's trite. It's, like, you could say from a narrative perspective, there's some sort of, like, uh, there's, like, rule setting going on, right? So it's laying the groundwork for, like, how the bed travels, for some of the dangers they might encounter, and for that pressure that they have to be home before morning because someone will notice if they and the bed is missing. But it just goes yeah. on, like, I was reading on my Kindle, and I was watching, like, the percentage completion like go up and up and up and i was yeah. like what is the point of this i know you know what's um funny is i so i bought the hard copies of all of the books that we're reading oh nice because in part i was like you know this is kind of a cool thing to save and then maybe someday give like my children if Aww. you know hard copy books ever exist except that as i was preparing for this episode like in the London scene, I actually wrote in the margins, like, how fucking long does this last? <laughs> and then I was like, oh, wait. Like, and then I, I burned it. That. Yeah, shit. The only interesting um, line is that when they first use the bed when they travel to London is that they say um, the feeling or sensation was horrible because it felt as though um, the world had been changed into a cinema film. Oh, yeah, I, I love that. that. Like, the weird, yeah. like, film technology anxiety. You know, a, a book like making an excuse to like attack cinema as like inorganic or uncomfortable. Right. <laughs> I love when genres like war with each other. <laughs> it is pretty good. Um, so they come back okay, and so- they tell Miss Price and then they decide that they're all going to go on a trip together and they're going to plot it out so that they can plan the like time zone difference accordingly so that their nighttime will be the daytime of wherever they're visiting so they can spend a whole day somewhere else and get back um, before morning their time. And so they decide to go... And and they bring Miss Price this time, right? So... What was the island um, called? At least there's... Nabu? Nanu? I don't remember, but it's... At least there's a little bit more responsibility. um, And just a lot more goddamn racism. Yes. God, it gets so bad. It it got, like, uncomfortable. first of all, like, this... This just shows you like how uninteresting Miss Price is. They go to uh, this. Yeah. So their second adventure is to this um, fabulous island, right? Um, in a different, you know, 
hemisphere or whatever. And Miss Price just like brings along a book to read, you know, I like know. they're on this right. ostensibly Why? unexplored island. And it's like this beautiful tropical paradise. And she's just like, I'm just going to like fucking sit here and read, you know, that's like, like <laughs> with Paul on. by my side. Yeah, you ch- you two other children go away and leave Paul and I. To, I know. Uh, so what cracked me up here. about that sequence too? So they all get captured by natives, who of course are cannibals. I wrote, oh boy. Um, yeah. And then she gets into like a battle of magic with like a witch doctor. And what is so weird to me about this is that there is a way in which it's like this whole demonstration of like the superiority of English magic to this like native quote like savage magic and that was like the idea of british magic is itself already an appropriation of like other older customs Um, so like even internally right like of taking magic and rewriting it as this like british elite um form and then doing doubly then like taking it from other peoples and like recasting it as like a form that actually only the british can perfect truly um is weird and it's and it's like, I mean, it's it's so insulting because, like, we've already established that Mrs. Miss Price is a shitty witch. Yeah, right? she's like, only she's, a witch in she's training. She's, like, of the lowliest rank of yeah. British witches. And yet even that, you know, can overcome this uh, more native, um, you know, like, totally racist, totally imperialistic um, viewpoint on, like, out, like, besting the cannibals, you know? And <laughs> I'm just, just like... Ah. She's like, kids, listen, only Paul and I can fit on this broom. So if you want to escape, you guys are just going to have to hang on <laughs> and like, like dangle. Hold, hold your shit. Yeah. yeah. Did you have the illustrations? Like, in yeah. Your, your <laughs> there's okay. like pants falling down. Yeah. It's like, why is this? A, like, what is like the obsession in the mid-century with like kids' butts? You know, oh, you like, mean, like sunblock? and the sunblock and like, yeah. why? I don't know. I, I don't get it's it. It's so weird. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, they don't make it back. They make it back too late when they come back. So they're all drenched. The bed is drenched because high tide has come in and made everything wet. So they do appear back in their bedroom at daybreak, but they're soaked. The bed's soaked. And Elizabeth, the maid, comes in and is like, the fuck? And they're like... And she is a crazy bitch. What was going on? Okay, I have so many questions about... Elizabeth seems crazy. so happy that they got in trouble. Like yeah. She has that creepy smile, and she doesn't say anything, just walks out. She's, She's like, like the these evil kids are going this, down. This novel, like, if, if anything. But I didn't even understand, like, were, is it that Elizabeth and the aunt were not happy to have them there? Because there was no intimation of that earlier. Yeah, I don't know. And then all of a sudden it was like, finally excused to kick these kids out. This, like, unjustified, unexplained rancor, you know, or like, this, like, duh. This, I don't know, like, she just hates these children for no reason. Which <laughs> I, I understand, worst. because I the, hate children. But. Oh, I mean, I wouldn't want kids in my home, but... No. I mean, I would take my nephews, though, I guess. At least the one... I met the one... I can't speak for the other one yet. So, like, we'll see. But <laughs> the other one, you know, like, you have no idea. Big Ed? An asshole. I, yeah. we, who knows what Big Ed's personality is going to be like <laughs> <yet>. <laughs> I'm trying to remember, though, in Line of Witch in the Wardrobe, they go to stay with an aunt and uncle? Or with... Yeah, Who no, do they stay with? They're, they're staying with, like, a stranger. Oh. Because yeah, I remember they, like they are afraid to move around in the house. Yeah. Because they're afraid of constantly getting in trouble. So maybe there's just something about people... I don't know. Children um, in old mansions with spinsters, I think, is the, <laughs> Am I right? Is the formula for, for something going down. 
Oh, that's, maybe that's there is the... a Miss... Oh, yeah, where's Uncle? Maybe this is a Miss Havisham situation. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Interesting. There really are no men in this... Well, there's the cop. Well, and there's the, and the, the necromancer later. Yeah. Oh, and that was another like weird inclusive, like an awareness of the audience where it's like, these six stars represent the time it takes for you to go look it up, <laughs> like look yeah. up what necromancer is. So this is, we're at the end <laughs> also, of the first- Also, I wrote it. Oh, sorry. No, I was no, just go gonna ahead. say, um, I did write in my, um, in this version, don't patronize me. <laughs> <laughs> I actually have to say, like, I, my initial thought was necrophilic, and I was like, oh my god, like, this is not real. This and I was like, died. oh no, necromancer, necromancer. I was also reading this with a fever because, as I said, I'm, was I've been perpetually sick. Um, well, and that's the best way to read this book, I mean, I think. it wasn't bad. And so yeah. we're at the end of the first book now. The Anne is like, you kids are awful. And she's like, you can't even make up a good lie <laughs> when they're no, like, the we'll tell you the truth. Yeah. And so, so can they you leave. imagine like just having that book? That's such I know a, there like, was a two year gap. Ending. Well, and also the ending. It does. There's no clear arc to me. But the book wants to pretend there is because it ends with Miss Price saying, I've learned that witchcraft isn't a hobby. It's a weakness. And you're like, yeah, well how yeah and like why does this book exist then to like you know describe adventures of witchcraft if right and she's like i'm never gonna do witchcraft again and she also has this there's this weird conversation in the beginning about how she was going to use her witchcraft to cheat in like a rose or flower competition yes but like oh that gosh. has nothing to do with the rest of the book like what was the weakness of traveling to an island or what was the weakness of i don't know adventure I, mean, I also I highlighted that moment just because as she's describing like cheating. Yeah. Uh, Paul says, "I've had wonderful results from cheating." He said <laughs> <suddenly>. <laughs> I was like, ah, like everything about this. Yeah, he's a creepy kid. <laughs> I'm sorry to keep harping. No, on it. I it's just like can't. Macaulay Culkin and The Good Son. Uh, I've not The Good Son. I've not <gasps> seen that. Yeah, I think it's Macaulay Culkin. I think Elijah Wood. So a mom. Her son is Macaulay Culkin, and I think it's like her nephew, I want to say, comes to live with them, and Macaulay Culkin just keeps trying to kill him, and essentially gets oh, to the shit. point, I have only the vaguest recollection of this movie, I watched it when I was a kid, but essentially, like, both kids are hanging from a ledge, and she's holding both of them, and she can't hold both, and she realizes she has to, like, drop her own son and let him die, because he's evil. Why did you watch? This sounds like a horrible movie. <laughs> I mean, it was really buzzy Shit. when it came out. At least among us, like, 10-year-olds. Like, it was like... Not me. We, I mean, it was a reference point for, like, even, like, I don't know, when you talk about other people. But, like, kind of like oh. a good son situation. Oh, I should check this out. I mean, why not? Yeah. I need, I need some, some weird movies going on in my... Okay. Um, <laughs> okay. So and so we get to book two. Yeah, and I think we could sum it up pretty pretty quickly. So the kids return. The kids return to uh, the same area, the the same mm -hmm. neighborhood that um, they were in last summer or the two summers ago. But uh, this time, their aunt has died, thankfully, and so now they're <laughs> actually staying with Miss Price because she put an ad in the newspaper. This was the fucking weirdest. Yeah, ad. like just by chance, they happened to see it. Well, also, like, no one does this. Like, old woman looking for two small children to live with her. <laughs> Again. Yeah, I what? don't don't put that in the classifieds. Like, 
Yeah, that's how you get like precursor to interviewed by the FBI. You know, (laughs) well, what did you call it? Boom, boom mates. Oh, it's boom mates. You're right. I shouldn't judge. It's it's the precursor (laughs) to boom mates, except that instead of like an 18 or 20 year old, it's like an eight and 11 year old. Yeah, they're still really. Well, and I thought too, like, oh, I bet this is witchcraft. Like, she is just like it's a message that appeared on their newspaper. But then they go and live with her, and it turns out that, no, she really has given up witchcraft. She has taken all of these sacred old texts and burned them in a bonfire. Like, can we just sit with that for a second? Yeah. (laughs) That was infuriating to me. Like, no one, there is no individual who gets to decide whether knowledge carries on like that or not. Like, if you have a book that is, like, holds knowledge that can be found nowhere else, like, then pass it on to a museum or hide it even if you want but you don't get to destroy just have it. a garage sale you know yeah just like, like make it seem inno- how fun make it seem innocuous so yeah. that someone buys it in a, just a box of books and it's decades before someone realizes what it is and yeah that's that works exactly the other thing that's interesting too is that if the last book I was interested in beds you know and bed knobs but also the quality of the bed like we hear about when it was bought and how great the bed is like we've moved from beds to like this high appraisal of indoor plumbing like that is how the book starts or opens with miss price is now obsessed her weakness now is no longer magic it's indoor plumbing that she's spending all her money on these nice um fixtures expensive fixtures and that's why she has to take in children tenants right which is so like come on really like i guess it's returning to this class issue with the witch and everything that you were talking about earlier but just like it seems so lame like i don't know it just seems again mundane i guess she's <laughs> yeah. like I these countertops my... are granite <laughs> they don't pay my... for themselves <laughs> My fantasy novels to have a little bit more pizzazz. I want them to be more video game-esque than they I know. currently are. It is just like, you know, like the, um, what's her name? Oh, fuck. Myers. She's a director. Um, Nancy Myers. Like how there was like all those uh, critics who referred to her movies as like kitchen porn because there were Nancy Myers, like uh, Something's Gotta Give or the one Meryl Streep and Alec Baldwin where it's just like frequently oh. all these scenes of like middle-aged women in these gorgeous kitchens, like sipping wine with their friends and talking about their second lease on life, you know? And yeah, it is just yeah, like, yeah. it's like, it is a weird precursor, just kitchen porn. Like, why are we wa- reading a children's book that is like fetishizing like copper pipes, <laughs> you know, and a nice sink right. faucet? Like, it's so strange. You know, if there was like Pinterest back in yeah. Price's day, I thought you were going to say penetration. <laughs> If there were penetration, if there was it's penetration, true. Like, back penetration then. was not invented. No, not until um, many, many generations <laughs> of people 80s. were born. <laughs> Only after all those kids were born was penetration invented. <laughs> uh, oh, do you want to hear a cool fact about yeah, um, penetration. having a child that yeah. I learned? Yeah, about penetration. So if if Sam, you ever find yourself in a position where you want to have a child, okay, you should doubtful, before. But- um, before you ha- like do the deed, you should watch like a movie where a very powerful male is having sex with a woman because you your mean, like, body porn? actually responds. Well, you could do porn, but like it doesn't have to even be porn. It could just be like you know, like a a get down. It could be like a get down scene in a normal movie. <laughs> do you have any recommendations? Um, 
I, you know, actually, like, none are coming to mind right now. Like, the only one I, like, recently rewatched where people are having sex is, like, Knocked Up. Oh. <laughs> and that's not sexy. There are no powerful men in that movie. <laughs> no. Anyways, but if you do that, uh, then your sperm will, like, actually become more powerful because your body is, like, becoming you you view that man as a rival and so you're like you're amped up and your testosterone like produces more sperm whoa and it's just like yeah so like porn as you know sad as it can be and as people get predicted all those issues can also like make super super sperm because you are like i could do better than him i could do better than ryan gosling super sperm so in a weird way like interesting yeah, like in a weird way, you're not turned on by like whoever he's boning, but like more turned on by, by like, like the competition overcoming or something. Him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a real alpha dog scenario. Yeah, I don't know why. He's, oh, it's just why were we talking about sperm? Oh, um, oh, because of penetration. penetration and Pinterest. Because of Pinterest. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I follow you. Because our, our trains of thought <laughs> are brilliant. I mean, I'm enjoying it. I, I hope you are, too. Yeah, definitely. So, um, I mean, really, the only thing there is to say about this is that Miss Price is like, no, guys, I've given up on magic, blah, 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 blah. Then she steals the bed knob out of their luggage. And then <laughs> Carrie and Charles walk in on, I shouldn't even use that phrase, walk in on Miss um, Price and Paul in bed. <laughs> Essentially, because they've just returned yeah. from an adventure. They've just come. Well, they find them after, but they know that they've been gone. I would right? feel like they so pissed off about that. Mm-hmm. And so here's where, like, the yeah. books. Oh, I would feel so betrayed. I know. Because it's it's really, I mean, it's, it's like the meanest thing you could do is be like, no, children, you are no longer, you know, special to me. You're just here to, like, fucking pay for my sink. Fuck you. But yeah. this child, this Paul, who is evil, he is the one that we go on adventures with. So the primary yeah. adventure Shit. that we're privy to in this has to do with um, Emilius. I forget his full name. But oh, we um, get a weird... Actually, I kind of liked the yeah. the jump where I kind of out of nowhere, we go back to... We cut to a character we've never met before. The Neuromancer. Nope. Necromancer. Mm-hmm. Um mm-hmm who is like actually an assistant or apprentice to a very successful necromancer. And then he sort of reveals to him, the younger apprentice, like this is all made up. It's all smoke and mirrors, but you can make a killing. Just don't get found out by the authorities or you'll be arrested. And then he right. inherits this business. And then what's- And he's like so depressing. I, I mean, know. It's sad. Because he's a he's, sad guy. This thing that he's been, I, I, I feel deeply for this man. <laughs> you what? I think he's been working at for years. I feel deep. I, I, I sympathize deeply with mm. him. The thing he's been working on for years. Does this sound familiar? Yeah. Um, he's been yeah. apprenticed to. He suddenly realizes it's actually not. It's an illusion. He's a he's a fellow of sorts. <laughs> it's like he's graduated, yeah. but still learning. So but, he's a graduate. But, but a he student. finds no meaning. He finds, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he finds no meaning in it um, because it's all been taken away from him. Well, right? and what's so By cruel this, that the book does week. is that there is a, he is, um, I forget if he's like he's casting like a fake incantation or reading someone's fortune and he's telling them about these three children who are visiting and then as though they've just apparated, three children appear. But then the joke is that mm-hmm. it's just the three kids and they happen to have traveled back to his time and 
encountered him. Right. And so, like, there's, because like, Ms. a hold of the promise that he... let them go back in time. Yeah. And it holds out the promise that he really did some magic, right? And then just, like, takes it back from mm-hmm. him. <laughs> and they bring him to their yeah, present. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're like, no, no, no. You, you have no powers. Like, everything that you just thought happened did not happen, right? So, mm-hmm. um, and it's this weird shift, too, where... So they're, like, talking... And they're like, yeah, we're from the future. And then the next chapter is like, they, the kids have come back and they're like, oh, we, we brought back. Can we back. keep him? Yeah. Exactly. So there was like this weird gap in the narrative too, where it doesn't show like him like begging them to take him to take him to the future. There's no like real impetus yeah, to right. it, except that maybe this way he will then survive the, you know, the London fire and the plague, et cetera. Right, but it's uh, it's so strange. Yeah, and so basically, what we're realizing is that we need to come up with some sort of ending to wrap up Miss Price's life because at this point, like, what's the point of her as a character? She's not practicing witchcraft. Yeah. She's sort of experimenting with the bed, but not really. And so, it, we realize very quickly that Emilius is going to become a love interest for her. So he comes to the present. There's some hijinks where they introduce him to the present. He's terrified of cars. And then they kind of fall in love, but she says, like, it's no use. You belong in your time. She has that really creepy line being like, well, technically, in 1945, like, you're dead. And how can I possibly feel anything for someone who doesn't really exist here? (laughs) And you're like, ooh, pragmatic, but cold. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then they send him back. And then she realizes that she loves him and wants to be with him and so they go back in time kind of right in the nick of time because he's just been discovered and he's going to be burned at the stake so there's been these like rumblings and discussions of this one spell that she knows called substitutionary locomotion where you can make inanimate objects move and so when she goes to Mm -hmm. save him we see this cloaked figure and it's miss price flying on a broom just swooping down to help um, get Emilius out of his 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 cords, right? Where and get him like saved and away from the fire. And it starts raining, and the fire gets put out. But the the broom and the cloaked figure are kind of shot, I think, by guards or the police or whoever is like overseeing his his death. Um, but mm-hmm. Emilius does get away, and so the children bring Emilius back to the bed, and they're crying because they've seen Miss Price be shot down only to realize that Miss Price is sitting on the bed waiting for them and that um, she actually used that substitutionary locomotion spell to make uh, the broom fly on its own and that she was never actually on the broom. And so right, they right. get away. They deposit the kids back in the present day. They collect all of their <laughs> piping and plumbing fixtures. And then they take them to um, basically what is the Ansa state, but in what, the 17th century? And the then I'm sorry, say that again? Then Miss um, Price and Amelius get on the bed with all the plumbing, and they make Paul twist the knob but step away so he doesn't travel with them, and they're sent back to the oh. 17th century, I think, and they live on the land that ultimately becomes the Ants estate. Oh, I see. Right. But what's confusing okay. is that it doesn't seem like very much time has passed since the opening of the book. <laughs> Like, maybe a few days. Mm-hmm. And so it's unclear if these kids are just going to continue to live in Miss Price's house, like, unattended to. <laughs> or what? Yeah, probably. Like, she, as we've learned, she does not give a fuck about these kids 
actually, you know, like there's there's no supervision whatsoever with this lady. So yeah, so probably yeah, yeah. They they probably just hang out on their own and like break shit. And Paul like murders, you know, the milkman or whatever. I don't know. Paul definitely murders the milkman. But what like ugh, yeah, I just don't understand like. What I found so frustrating about this these books is that they're kind of just non-starters where you open with magic and then instead of exploring that more and more fully, you actually watch it just like dissipate as the books progress. Right. And so by the end yeah. there's just like there's no magic. Think, that was it. I think that's both of our responses is that this this like concept had a lot of potential and as, you know, English scholars were kind of affronted by the the lack of fulfillment and you know like exploring like these dynamics that are you know very briefly touched on like you know how how you know like the balance of good and evil and the you like manipulation of natural forces and what does that do and you know like gender relations and like power giving kids power and Mm -hmm. all of this shit this novel could have spoken to and And yet like we're fucking talking about pipes and right, we're like, going to fuck? London, and it's just... Also, ugh. like, even if you bring your copper fixtures with you back to the 17th century, you cannot create, like, indoor plumbing for yourself. Like, it requires more. Yeah, so, like, it's, it's a lot more work It's than very that. frustrating to read. And you know what? I yeah. just... I, I felt so let down because I thought there was going to be more explicit World War II elements. Like, I guess in one sense, right. like, I was hoping for what... We talked about with like Inglorious Bastards and Wonder Woman. Like I wanted to see like this sort of re- revising of the war, right? In which like, you know, like <laughs> witchcraft intervenes, right? Um, yeah, or and, even and just, like, like combats evil acknowledgement. Yeah, or yeah, really, just yes. admit that what's going on. Yeah, so none weird. of that, none of that. So, anyways, so Sam and Katie both do not recommend Ugh. Red Knob and Broomstick. Did you like? I the mean, film? I'll let my child. So I should say too, no, as a piece of I trivia, hated the film. that film was like verboten in our home. Like we were not like allowed a witchcraft film. So it was like a movie that to <laughs> me like was always on my periphery because we'd go like to friends' houses or like we'd go like my mom would visit a friend. They had kids and we'd just hang with the kids when we were young and like they'd turn it on and we'd start watching it and then my mom would be like, no, no, no. <laughs> so Damn. it was always like a movie like almost glimpsed. Um so it's interesting to me to sort of see like how rocky the source material is given how weird its reception is where it's not held up yeah. as a classic Disney film but it does have this really weird strong impassioned following it is beloved to a contingent of people. So So I had not ever seen it mm-hmm. and then I watched it this past week and I like the novel just I hated it. I interesting. It's got these long like incredibly long song and dance moments um, that have nothing to do with the plot and just really, really drag on. Um, so, I know. Like, I read a trivia. And there's like, oh, sorry, sorry. I read that um, in when they cut the film. So the film is supposed to be like a holiday epic where it's going to be like over two and a half hours long. And they cut it down to two hours. And they said the cutting included removing six minutes from um, that market musical like song. And I was like, you mm-hmm. took six minutes away and there was still a song? Like, how long is that? Yeah. 
Uh, oh, it's incredible. Like, in the, the the version I watched or whatever, there's it's still insanely long. And, like, these different races come and do, like, they're, like, it's really, it's weird, too, because they have, like, you know, like, five men in turbans enter and just, like, do, I guess, what's considered a native dance or something. Oh, no. But it reads, again, like, very imperialistic. And then... Um, these African-Americans come in and they do like, but it's always like segregated, like these weird, like segregated dances. That's just like, Oh, I did. I hated it so much. And so there's that. And then like they, I mean, they do make the Nazi thing explicit, but like they change so much. They don't go back in time. They go to like a cartoon animal world. It just, it sucked. It's uh, okay, but let me read you a couple of headlines from IMDb. <laughs> Classic Disney, a magical movie for all ages, sort of like Mary Poppins with Nazis, a whimsical and kind-hearted <laughs> genre buster, a timeless family favorite, Mary Poppins' younger, smarter, cooler sister, a Mary Poppins classic. Right? Like, there are people who love this movie. <sighs> I guess, but I don't see it. I don't. I, know. I mean, I don't think I will see it. I just, I didn't. I didn't grow up like loving the the Mary Poppins stuff either. I didn't you know, either. like um, Sound of Music, like stuff of like that. Like Ugh. I just, I wasn't really into that. Can I tell uh, you though? The only exception would be like Wizard of Oz. Oh yeah. What? Can I tell you though that next week we are talking about the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and that is that book. And that BBC adaptation are all over my childhood. So I will have a lot more to say oh, about yeah? that adaptation. Have you ever seen the BBC yes, version? Yes, I yeah. cannot wait. Ugh, all right. I have not, but I'm going to. Well, let's close the book on Mary Norton I'm- and move on. We're moving chronologically. So we're still in this sort of World War II era or just after. Because um, Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe is like 53 or 52, something like that. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm just agreeing with you. I actually don't know, but I just yeah. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. I appreciate me, that. It makes me sound like I'm smart. I like that support. Yeah. Um, what's interesting though is that that book it will be like up quite a bit much more like explicit about the war though. Yeah, definitely. I do know that. I do know that is true. Says <laughs> says I. I think uh, I've lost my mind. I think I've I've actually gone insane. Well, you know point. why? It's because we've been recording for a long time. So why don't we close up just by telling? Yeah. Do you want to tell me what you are obsessed with this week? Oh well, just in line with uh, fantasy, I am like for the first time ever. So it's magical to me. I'm reading the Earthsea series. You oh, I've never read them. I know, like the the dispossessed oh. and left hand of darkness. I need to read them. I've just oh, never read so them. Oh, good. Yeah? So they're like six bucks on Kindle mm-hmm. uh, a piece. So, you know, it's still an investment, but um, there's, you know, it's a, it's a, um, there are six in the series. Okay. And they're so fucking good. They're quick reads, though. They're not like, you know, these insane, you know, like 800 page fantasy novels. I want to read they're them. Each, like, you know. Yeah. 200 pages. Ugh, and I do not have time for like an 800 page fantasy novel. Yeah, no, I'm reading an 800-page, uh, like, book on code-breaking right now, and it's <laughs> such a slog. I mean, that's why I couldn't follow um, you into the Dark Tower. I read the first two books, because they're both, like, 300 pages, and then book three was, like, 900, and I was like, nope. That's true. <laughs> Hard pass. That's true. Yeah. Um, so, no, I've just, I, these are so magic, like, they are, 
so magical to encounter. So I highly, highly recommend becoming How obsessed awesome. with the Earth Sea cycle. Yeah. So Sam, what are you obsessed with? I'm gonna use my obsessions just to plug a couple things. So mm-hmm. one is just a kind of follow up. So last week I talked about um, I or last episode I talked about Itania, and since then on yeah. February 9th, the Atlantic or Radio Atlantic, the the Atlantic's mm-hmm. podcast, they had an episode called "From Itania to Cat Person" is based on a true story. Better, and it's a short episode or shortish shorter than our episodes and it's great like they do a much better job than i did talking about itania but also just generally thinking about what it means for a fiction to try to blur the line between fact and and a narrative right so um that cat person story and the way it's become sort of integrated into all these me too um accounts or they talk about um uh chimamanda adichie's um short story that's like written it's about the election written from melania trump's perspective right and um it's a really really Mm. great reflection on fiction and what fiction does and is trying to do and can do and what it can offer and also like how that's intersecting with like our cultural moment right now and so um i recommend that episode and then my obsession honestly has been about it's been born out of this um new yorker or new york magazine article from a couple weekends ago on rupaul i forget what the title is um, but I don't really know anything about RuPaul and I read it and I found him to be like this fascinating character and figure and yeah. it was great because it reminded me, uh, I don't know how to say this exactly, but that meaning can come out of camp and comedy and happiness in a lot of ways or a, like a celebratory spirit, like I think so frequently, at least for me, and I think this is true culturally, we think, well, there's comedy and tragedy, and comedy is frivolous, and tragedy is meaningful, and that it's in those mm-hmm. heavy, tragic, you know, narratives that are moving towards destruction that we see reality glimpsed, and comedy is where we go to distract ourselves from reality, and there's something really great about reading something that is, like, celebratory and wonderful and culture-changing that is kind of it's about reconciliation and about like the the communal and the coming together and the reconstitution of like some sort of order but better you know um and so it's maybe so you're saying like this narrative like bridges the gap between comedy and tragedy it's or just like that this, it's, it's reminding me that like comedy space comedy can, uh, comedy comedy can be can be meaningful too and i'm the, like the article isn't yeah, funny but okay. it's comedic kind of classically because it's about like how RuPaul, through his life and through the creation of um, uh, RuPaul's Drag Race, has sort of like helped bring um, various groups, so like queer, LGBT, uh, like trans people, into more mainstream acceptance, and how it's given like it's borne out these communities for for these people to lean on one another and to um, to find like acceptance and things like that. And I I don't know, I found it all like super like interesting and inspiring you know, inspiring in some ways, right? That not everything in the news and not everything that's going on has to be awful to be meaningful. You know, that felt, it feels important reading that story, so. Yeah. I like that. Okay. Um, And we should, we'll put that on our show notes too, like a link to the article. And yeah, that's awesome. Okay. Well, we have survived our bed knob and broomstick adventure. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I hope this episode did not come across too dour. Well, That's I know I my fear was like, like no one's going to listen to the rest of the season. <laughs> On to bigger and better. 
Yes, we. I promise you, I know that I love The Lion, The Witch, The Wardrobe. We will be much more um, upbeat about it. And and yet, like, there's also a psycho in that novel, so I can't wait to talk about, about the psycho. Wait, and... Yay. Do you mean... Okay, I think I know who we're talking about. Yeah. All right. And a witch. Yeah, Edmund. Yeah. Well, no, Edmund, though, is the psycho. Right, but there's also a witch. And yeah. a creepy adult figure, <laughs> and that's the fawn. Yes! <laughs> Yay! Um, but it's sadly lacking, though, of course, is a Billy Zane stand-in. So Yes, exactly. What we'll have to do instead is dedicate this episode to Billy Zane. As we do every episode. Mm-hmm. Billy Zane, we love you. We miss you. Come back to us. All right. Uh, Laters. All right. See ya.